Shut up. Uh, Shut your stupid mouth. Uh, don't hit me anymore. Well, if you didn't deserve it, I wouldn't do it, would I? Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Are they in the proper approach pattern for today? They watch you masturbate. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. That makes one of us. <laughs> There's a man in a hat. <laughs> Seems to enjoy it quite a bit. I can't bust until I see his blacker and black eyes. Until I fall into the void. <laughs> Sweep me away, Sandman. Welcome back to Dispatch Ajax. I am your co-host, Jake. And I'm another co-host, no, he's the main host. That's not true. It is true. What are you talking That's about? It's always been true. I, it, that has never once been We've been doing this together this whole time. Skip, we named the dog Indiana, okay? Oh, my God. You made that joke last week. I'll, I'll make it every week now, all right? It's going to oh, be part right, of my junior. shtick. Oh, God. This is why no one listens to us. <laughs> well, then cut it out. <laughs> But anyway, I'm not the main host. We're the main hosts. We are one. We are Borg. We're like Firestorm. Oh. That's interesting. We went to weird, vastly different directions than I thought yeah. we would. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, except Firestorm seems like it's not necessarily like a equal partnership. Yeah, no. So that's not really quite right. How um, about you be Ragehawk, I'll be Mr. Fix-It, and the podcast is Bruce Banner. Why do you get to be Mr. Fix-It, man? I don't want to be Rage Hulk. Okay, fine. You can be Wolverine, and I'll be Patch. How's that sound? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you be Scott, and I'll be Slim. <laughs> that works for me. Uh, you'll be Nathan, and I'll be Cable. <laughs> How about you be oh, the, the coin that has the regular face on it, and I'll be the coin that's all scarred up. <laughs> That, that seems adversarial. I don't think that's that's the point of our thing. Yes, I think he's missed the entire point of this, hasn't it's just, he? It's, it's me who has a beard, and you who has a beard, and then but then you see me, and then you see you with a fake beard on top of that. <laughs> it's Skip, but with an eye patch and a Hitler stash. Two eye patches. Only the blind man can see, see nothing. Mm. Are you doing a Creed song? <laughs> no, that, that's a that's a Nickelback joint, actually. Ooh, yikes. This is way off the rails. Yeah. So I'm half Nick, half Nick Fury and half Stefano from uh, uh, General Hospital, or Days of Our Lives, one of the two. Can't remember. So I've got an eye patch on either side at the same time. Man, I, I don't... You, that's... I was only a young and restless guy. I never really saw that. <laughs> 
No, I was a general hospital, but also one like to live on NBC. Yeah, we we did a uh, Y and R and Y and R. What was it? Days of Our Lives. I think, that was on NBC. That? Yeah, that's we watched that. Yeah. Of course, my grandmother and I used to, in all earnestness, watch Dark Shadows together when it was in syndication. When I was a kid, hmm. that was awesome. She bought me for Christmas one year the Dark Shadows episode compendium. And so we'd like follow along <laughs> with the episodes. We watch it. It was awesome. Hello, Skip. Now it's time to learn about Bartleby and what he's doing sexually. <laughs> you slit the throat of that chicken, and I'll get the snacks. <laughs> ah, wholesome fun with Granny. <laughs> yeah. You're tall. Can you get that off the shelf? Also, the devil. <laughs> anyway, so this is a lot like Pokemon. It's a lot like Pokemon. So today, folks. We plan to be discussing comic books, huh? Who would have thought? I'd have thunk it. More specifically, comic books are, have always been dominated by the fans. Mostly, we speak our piece with our dollars and cents. But a few times, the comic book world has deemed us... Uh, they throw a pittance to the peons in the crowd. Yeah, and we get to shout it back out at them. You boy! Who shall win this fight? <laughs> There's a shiny farthing. Run to the market and buy the finest, fattest Hulk you can find. 80-page <laughs> giant boy. <laughs> oh, jeez, sir. <laughs> I'll get it right quick for you. Is it New Comics Day already? <laughs> Wait, I haven't missed it? Uh, yeah, so what we plan to discuss... <laughs> <laughs> is the times that fan vote has really played a key role in deciding both fates of of battles, of characters' lives, of team membership, perhaps even of a comic's existence. Yeah, it's it's a weird phenomenon. Um, I think because of the ongoing serialized nature of comic books, there are there are a few times where. Uh, either companies are out of ideas or they want to they feel like fans are disconnecting and so they want to take the decision making process editorially and lay it in the laps of the you know reading public in theory sometimes it doesn't seem like it's real like sometimes it seems a little staged but <laughs> they in, in theory that's how it works and, and I think comics are kind of uniquely like that. There are very few other genres that do that. There was that failed show by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Do you remember this? Oh, where they... People would vote. I mean, that was kind of the beginning of kind of reality TV competitions, Except right? this was a... This is the one where... It was they, a narrative, though. It was a fictionalized narrative. Oh, I don't remember that. I remember the one they had where they were, like, getting different directors... Competing to like who is going to get the contract to make a movie? Oh, oh, like an actual game show. Yeah, yeah, that's where the the movie Feast came from. Oh God, okay. Do you remember that? Yeah, I watched it like yesterday. Actually, <laughs> weird. You watched Feast yesterday? Yeah. The the horror film with the the creature in the bar and whatnot. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know why, just randomly, I watched it yesterday. That's weird. I, yeah, because I'd never seen it, so that's really bizarre. Yeah. No, I'm... The fates have smiled oh. upon us this day. <laughs> Rarely does that No, happen. they had a show. It was kind of like a Twin Peaks type show 
where every week the the fan base would vote on it was like a choose your own adventure. Uh, it was on ABC back in like two thousand like one or two. Hmm. Yeah, it, it didn't last, as it turns out. Like interesting, I don't much like Ben Affleck's that. sobriety. It didn't last long. <laughs> Woof! Yikes! Well, it's it's a tough time banging all the hottest women in the world and then crying about it. Yeah, I know. That's a rough deal, isn't it? P man, what a tortured life. I got to be Batman. I banged J Lo and. Anna de Armas? Yeah, she's weird looking. I don't know. But I what? get it. I get it. I get it. It's just not my type. What? Weird looking. She's a little weird looking. Wow. Grumble, grumble. <laughs> Your Sesame Street character all of a sudden. Rassafrasis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll catch that wabbit one of these days. <laughs> it's Affleck hunting season. <laughs> yeah, it's Oscar season. We're hunting <laughs> Good luck with that, Elmer. Uh, Robin Williams isn't here to prop you up anymore, bitch. <laughs> yeah, take that. We got him yeah, good. He still won for Argo, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> undeservedly so, he won it for Argo. But Yeah, it so often happens. So, anywho. So, yeah, there have been some very key moments, but I think we'll, we'll slowly work up. I'd like to touch with one of the early examples of fan voting. Uh, playing a role. Um, that's when DC deli- decided to allow fans to vote on the leaders of the Legion of Superheroes. Mm. How exciting this is. But in the letters column in Adventure Comics 364, which was, I just looked this up. Son of, why didn't I type that in? Son of a bitch. Give me just one second. <sighs> Sorry. Over-sight. Sorry. I thought I had it, but I didn't. I didn't. Yep. I f- that up it up already this is how it is in bed too i'm sure it's <laughs> thought i had just it wait, man. just wait just wait 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 just <laughs> got it got it come on come stop on, come on stop talking come on i'm gonna lose it you keep talking look at me like that flip over how is anybody supposed to shoot when you give me those eyes <laughs> shoot but in the letters column adventure 364 out in january 1968 the fans were given poison that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> They're dead. They're all dead. The Jonestown comic book massacre. Can I go now? The John Jonestown massacre. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, cult leader? Uh, Jessica I Jonestown think... massacre? I don't know. Oh, I think John Jones. I mean, him coming down, pretending to be like a savior, like having his own Martian cult. Yeah. I could see, I could that, see that, that being yeah. a good story. Yeah, actually, you could, yeah. you could do that. That's a nice elsewhere. be better than Armageddon 2001. Anything would be better than Armageddon 2001. Which we will touch on because it has a lot to do with this topic. I'll explain. Says him. I will explain. Anyway, continue. They were given some months to decide who the leader of the Legion of Superheroes who function in the 30th century. 30th century. And then Superboy is there. How (laughs) exciting is that? Sometimes. Sometimes. You know, honestly, though, some of the greatest superhero names of all time, like Matter Eater Lad, yeah. uh, Karate Kid, yeah. Pharaoh Lad. There's some good ones in there. Honestly, Legion might be the most impenetrable title in all of comic books. Yeah. Like, it, it's the most niche, and you have to be fully invested. And the only people who read Legion comics are just 
hardcore Legion fans. Nobody else cares. There's that tie with Superboy and all that. Even that. Superboy does not bring all the boys to the yard, necessarily. Uh, yeah, you gotta scratch that niche. <laughs> we'll talk about Legion of Superhero names in a different episode, because we have a whole thing planned about that. Yeah. So, in that year of 68, the results finally came in after months of voting. And Jim Shooter and Kurt Swan's Adventure Comics 368, which came out in May of that year... According to the results, there were 7,810 votes cast, and Ultra Boy won with 1,262 votes, closely followed by Mon-El with 1,160 votes. How exciting is that, huh, folks? Ultra Boy. Ultra Boy. He's the ultra winner. And Mon-El, who's a Daxamite, which is essentially a Kryptonian, but there are it's like the always save brand of Kryptonian. Yeah, exactly right. Because like their one weakness is lead instead of kryptonite. Gotta watch out for that Pharaoh lad or uh, one of those metal men. You know, he'll get you. Throw that lead right up in there. Asbestos is one of them, I think. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> there has to be carcinogenic lead in the Legion, right? It's lithium. It's, no, it's that character Smokescreen from that uh, Spider-Man Storm PSA comic <laughs> you find a dentist office. Oh, man. We had another one of those come in the other day. Oh, really? God. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. But the Legion votes also showed what happens when the creators don't like who the fans vote. In Superboy 225, which came out in March 1977, Superboy won the voting for who would lead the, the Legion of Superheroes. However, that was against the rules because Superboy was a part-time member. And had to travel in time just to be with the team. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot of effort to go to a shitty mm-hmm. team. So th- it showed the comic book uh, showed Superboy attacking Wildfire for cheating to take over despite not winning. The first of many examples of the creators not really buying in to what the fans vote for and kind of writing around it. We'll then move to, in the next year, we had more excitement, huh? As DC opened up the voting for the next Justice League of America member. Team member. Mm -hmm. So in the pages of Justice League of America number 161, Jerry Conway and Rick Dillon, acting as proxy for the fans, let the other Justice League members vote in Zatanna. Which means they could just do whatever they wanted and say they were doing the fans' wishes. They could. So in the letters section, they did release all of the voting numbers. So Zatanna won with 450 points, essentially. And that's... Well, uh, so it's it's like they would give three numbers of like, here's how many first place votes, Uh, second place votes, third place votes. votes. At least they figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. You got three points for first place, two points for second, one place for third. And Zatanna won the Electoral College. Zatanna won by a landslide, (laughs) overcoming Captain Comet, who had 225 (laughs) votes. Black Lightning at 188. Black Man gets screwed again. (laughs) Supergirl at 181 and Metamorpho at 176. Wow, Metamorpho. Wow. Okay. All right. That's a deep cut. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, he was a little more popular in the late 70s. Yeah, it's true. He's a weird, weird character. Super weird. They also allowed for anyone interested in receiving a copy of the complete tally 
could send a self-addressed stomped envelope to blah, 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 blah. With your parents' permission. At least this was a woman getting on the team. True. It's a nice, uh, nice nod It's a to woman that. in fishnets and a top hat, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She might break out some handcuffs and then <laughs> rob you while you're naked. Hey, man, you were asking for it. <laughs> well, I was reading the paper on the train, pretending to go to work. Suddenly I'm missing kidneys. I wasn't using them. <laughs> I think we'll skip over the most important of all. Let's go to some later ones at this point in time. Maybe the second biggest of the fan votes, that would be Marvel versus DC. Oh, boy. So as we talked about in a previous episode, which I'm sure all of you listened to. Crickets. (laughs) Hello? Hello? Is this on? Is this thing on? Marvel and DC decided to try and generate some interest in both of their flagging and flailing companies Mm -hmm. and gave the fans a treat. By having the two battle it out to see who would have the uh, the strongest characters and who would win in fights. Only to later combine the two into the Amalgam universe, mm-hmm. which is super weird. At the time, there were 11 battles that would resolve the fate of the two universes. Six of them were determined by the writers of the event, which are Peter David and Ron Mars editors of the event, Mike Carlin for DC, and Mark Grunewald of Marvel. Hmm. The remaining five were determined by fan voting, and this was done by uh, fan ballots. So I believe you cut them out and sent them in? Hmm, I don't remember. I'm not 100% sure on that. During one of the other ones we're going to talk about, I think you could call a a line. Yes, most of them are done by mailing in votes, but the most famous one is done by calling in. Which was crazy. But we'll get we'll get to that in due time. So Mars and David, chosen presumably because they're working promptly for both companies mm-hmm. at the time. Ron Mars was doing Silver Surfer and Green Lantern, and Peter David was doing the Hulk and Aquaman. Oh yeah. They split up duties there. So they ended up doing the the fights, and they did Thor versus Shazam, Quicksilver versus the Flash, Namor versus Aquaman, Jubilee versus Robin. Hot. <laughs> Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern, Elektra versus Catwoman, Hmm. but they left up the voting of Wolverine versus Lobo, Storm versus Wonder Woman, Spider-Man versus Superboy, Hulk versus Superman, and Catman, (laughs) not Catman, Captain America versus Batman. Oh, man. I wish it was Catman. (laughs) Finally, Catman versus Batman. Oh, they fought before. I know. And it just gets hotter each time. (laughs) Catman. I'm going to put this better ring where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Turn you to my litter box. I got nothing. I <laughs> Unfortunately, with the fan vote, the fans would often vote wrong, at least as far as, uh, <laughs> as, far as the writers and editors were concerned. And everyone who reads those comics. <laughs> uh, that's, that's debatable. I think what they did... Most pointedly was just give short shrift to the actual battles, throwing like little hissy fit on the pages. So, for example, Wolverine and Lobo. Mm. At the time, Wolverine's the gruffest, toughest little adamantium rage-fueled monster versus the ultimate bastiche. Lobo, the intergalactic bounty hunter, both had healing powers, both chomped cigars, both said naughty words. But instead of them actually, like, 
actually seeing the fight, which is what everyone wanted to see. They meet up in a bar. They mm-hmm. exchange some words. They and numbers. Uh oh yeah. They duck down underneath the bar. Ooh. Yeah yeah. Uh, someone uh someone comes out on top. We're not we're not really sure who uh, who lands on bottom in that particular one. Bone claws, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of showing the fight, then they just have Wolverine pop up, smoke a cigar because he definitely won that. Smoke smoke Lobo's cigar. <laughs> yeah, because they were playing slap ass under the bar apparently, <laughs> and then that means Wolverine won. I don't understand. Like that's that's the that's one of the problems with with letting fanboys decide things. They just go, "What's the coolest thing I can think of?" Man, it'd be really cool. Venom like could become the Punisher, and like, okay, all right. A lot of people out there, I think, can relate to this analogy. But like, you know how everybody who's into sci-fi and fantasy and horror, we've all got a secretly, whether we want to admit it, we all have a zombie contingency plan. If things break out at any moment, what would you yeah. do? You know, we yeah, all have I, a, I open the Hellraiser puzzle box. I mean, things can't get any worse. So. <laughs> I think that would be worse. I'll be perfectly honest. Eh. When there's no room in eh. hell, just go to the other dimension. <laughs> exactly. Which is worse than hell. Um, you know, it's like when you have a conversation where somebody asks you what you would do at a zombie attack, and you're very meticulous, and you're like, well, you know, you need to find the high ground. You need to find, a, you know, how you could get out of any situation, depending where you are, and how you can track down resources, and if you have a go bag or whatever. And then they just go, yeah, well, I'd uh, I'd find a, um, a, a rocket launcher, and then I'd uh, shoot, a, and you're like, shut, shut the f*** up. You don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about. Shut up. That's what the fan voting was. <laughs> DC versus Marvel. It'd be really cool. I, I think I think Wolverine's way cooler than Lobo. Like, okay, well, do you know anything about those characters? Because he's as strong as Superman. And <laughs> <laughs> what I would have just wanted is something more than a panel where you don't see anything happen. Well, that's because you could tell the writers were like, "This is fucking stupid. How could they possibly pick this?" But if you're gonna do this, then don't make the comic book. No one's forcing you to make this comic book. No, they shouldn't have made those comics anyway. But if you're going to do it, then f***ing do it. If you're going to do it, do it right. So you also had Captain America, who won the vote over Batman. Hmm. I, uh, hmm. That's not true. That didn't happen. No, Batman won. Batman always wins. <laughs> Batman always wins. Uh, but in another case of where they're kind of just copping out... Captain America misses with a shield. Then they're fighting in a sewer for some reason. For some reason, and they're they're falling in, and then Captain America gets knocked out, and Batman saves his life. But there's not an actual battle per se. No, it's like a draw. Yeah, it's a weak draw. You know, where you get mm-hmm. a quote unquote win without actually beating anybody. Yeah, it's kind of it's pretty weak. Yeah, well, the whole thing's weak, you know? Well, um, I mean, at least that fight had a cool scene at the beginning when Bullseye just, like, materializes in the Batcave. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> hey, folks. <laughs> hey, I like to stab people. <laughs> it's like a ghoulie more than it is. <laughs> uh, how else are you going to, like, represent Bullseye? Oh, just like Colin Farrell, obviously. Oh, hey, I'm Colin Farrell, and I, it's, 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 I'd like to stab. I'd like to shoot. <laughs> Flies with uh, paper clips. He throws a knife at Batman, and Batman manages to duck it. Uh, what? 
whatevs, bro. Uh, Come at me. I'm Batman, obviously. <laughs> have you have you heard of me? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of the best. Yeah, I'm a big deal. Get out that golden fiddle, because I'm the best there ever was. <laughs> oh, jeez. Come to rosin up my bow to beat old Batman. <laughs> Battle for soul. <laughs> uh, someone who also had to rosin up their bow was Spider-Man, mm. uh, as he defeated Superboy. Makes a lot of sense. Great. Yep. But again, it's it's fan voting, you know. The same way Superman uh, defeated the Hulk. We didn't really see him fighting much, except for like one big blow. They had a fight. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's not an issue of these fights. These are like a few panels. Yeah. Or a couple pages. That is it. This, um, yeah, the 70s and 80s Marvel DC crossovers are far superior because they actually have plots that they execute. In good fights. Maybe the most surprising would have been Storm won the fan vote over Wonder Woman. That shocks me. You, you know why it's shocking to you? Because because uh, she used lightning and shocked her. That's how she won. That's garbage. <laughs> oh, is it because she's secretly Zeus's daughter? Is that the... Well, that would have been cool. If they had put some effort into that, no. No, they didn't do any of that. No. Because they didn't reveal her as a demigod until, like, what was that, like 2009 or something? It was after the new 52, so it'd have to be like 2011 or 12, right? Of uh, her divine origins? Yeah, of her being a demigod. Yeah, in George Perez's version, she was like molded out of clay. Mm-hmm. She's a dreidel. <laughs> She's a golem, of course. So that happened in the 90s. Sure as did. It completely didn't matter, as they then just merged the two worlds into the amalgam, or as... as Awful fans say sometimes in the store, Amalgam. Amalgam, yeah, I hate that shit. Those f***ing idiots. Read a f***ing book. <laughs> That's not Amalgam. Did I ever tell you that uh, there was one guy who came in and he didn't know the word Illuminati? So he oh, just kept no. saying, Illuma-match? What? I, hey, man, I don't know. Oh, my God. You get a lot of people who can't read. They don't who know could... the alphabet. There is that very small fraction of... People who read comic books because they really can't read and just look at pictures. Mm-hmm. His name's Matt. Matt Fraction. Did you just say Matt Fraction? Yeah. It's a very tiny fraction. Oh, I see. I, I, was, I thought you were calling him illiterate. I was like, oh, well, okay. That's a bold, oh, no. No, it's just bold take. He, had a, he had a punny name. That's all. Mm-hmm. But the unremembered result of that whole thing, there's, it was supposed to have a long-lasting effect on both universes. DC and Marvel were going to trade the exclusive rights to Catwoman and Black Cat and swap so that they'd forever be in the other universes. That actually was part of the deal. And then they both backed out at the last minute. You know, I've always had a fantasy of Catwoman and and, uh, and Black Cat swapping and me being involved. I have um, no doubt that that is true. And you but don't every even time, need to go into detail. Every time they've backed out on me. Yeah, every time those fictional characters... Even fictional characters cancel on you. <laughs> it's my lot in life. They have to wash their hair and they have a headache. <laughs> something about there's there's something that needs to be cleaned in the fridge, I believe. <laughs> and you're not Batman or Spider-Man, so. That's that's right. I'm Spider-Bat. Bat-Spider seems like something that would have come up at some point. <laughs> I'm surprised it hasn't, actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's Maybe it's just a real-life Australian creature. I don't know. <laughs> Good eye. 
<laughs> and then it eviscerates you. It has acid for blood. Of course. Of course it does. So in 1999, you had Marvel's Contest of Champions 2. That's number dose. Mm. Written by Chris Claremont, Oscar Jimenez. Yeah, they dropped a deuce on us. Yeah, dropping that deuce. There were a total of 30 fights in the series, and the fans were given a chance to vote on the winner of three of them. Huh? Nice. <laughs> a whopping three. A whopping three. Those fights included Mr. Fantastic versus The Hulk. Okay. Which The Hulk obviously won. <laughs> Was it Professor Hulk, though? This would have been 1989. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been Professor Hulk. No, I don't think so. I thought you could have gone back to Professor Hulk in Amalgam. Yeah, but that wasn't night. That was like ninety six. Yeah, I just thought really. I mean, did they already go back to that already by ninety nine? Yes, I think. I mean, Bruce Jones's run would have been. They had just done Heroes Reborn, didn't they? Um, ninety seven would have been Age of Apocalypse, and then ninety eight would have been Heroes Reborn. Yes. And then in 99, they restarted Hulk yeah. as they restarted almost all the books. And that's that's where you get like the fabulous Bruce Jones, John Romita Jr. run. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. But in Contest of Champions number two, you had Hulk who uh, sucked up Mr. Fantastic into his mouth before chewing him up like gum and spitting him out. Okay. That's a thing that happened. Batman kicked his ass, though, so, okay, whatever. <laughs> just saying. Just just saying. But, I mean, Maybe. I mean, yeah. what if Mr. Fantastic versus Batman, though? I mean, I, Batman still, somehow? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, but uh, he would. I mean, we, we, made this, we made this statement early on. <laughs> Batman would win every fight. It doesn't matter. He's got the resources, the brains, lack of conscience. <laughs> like an evil Reed Richards, but athletic. <laughs> and good-looking. Oh, poor Reed. Oh. There was also Daredevil versus Deadpool. God, that, it, that's a different fight today, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Deadpool did win. He tricked Daredevil into saving a baby that was actually a Deadpool doll. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Rob you, Liefeld is so clever. And there was Gambit versus Hawkeye. Which... <laughs> the, the fight no one asked for. Yeah, that no one asked for, and... Nobody cared. Gambit won. That so what? Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? They've continued to do fan votes on many things. So there's always DC's favorite hero of the year. Or you had the Wizard Awards for years <laughs> and years. God. Uh, uh, they're always doing something. The The latest thing would have been they just had the X-Men vote for the second year in a row where you get to choose who the new member of the X-Men is mm -hmm. or will yeah. be. That's something that happens. I mean, it, it's something. I guess you get to choose which of these, you know, mutants that aren't in anything else get to be in the X-Men. Yeah. And they're almost always a variety of underutilized. A lot of time, people of color, uh, lots of women, people that just have gotten short shrift. So, I mean, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's something, and gets the fans energized. <laughs> Mojo rising. <laughs> the Mojo verse rising. They continuously have fans interact, but rarely have they had them give such a vital 
and long-lasting vote as the death in the family. Mm-hmm. Yes, the death in the family, the infamous Batman arc from the late 1980s. So essentially what happened was um, DC finally decided to give Dick Grayson an arc. Dick Grayson moves on from being Robin and becomes Nightwing in the leader of the Teen Titans. This is all the Marv Wolfman, George Perez stuff. And so there has to be another Robin, obviously, because Batman's a psychopath. So need more children for fodder. It ain't rocket surgery. My life ended when I was a child, and I don't want this to happen to another child, so I'm going to find a child whose similar thing happened to him and turn him into me to prove that I'm not wrong. <laughs> there <laughs> it is. Must perpetuate the cycle forever. Exactly. That's that's literally <laughs> the relationship between Batman and Robin. So he, of course, gets a second Robin named Jason Todd. His parents were killed by Two-Face. Which brings up some really interesting commentary, because Two-Face wouldn't have existed really without Batman, and he kind of helped create Robin in a way, so it was probably the biggest fan vote event of all time. Essentially what happened was, to differentiate between him and Dick Grayson, they wanted to make him more of an enigmatic character, which ended up becoming more of a problematic character. And I remember having this issue, too. There's a thing where Batman and Robin are busting up some crooks in a an apartment or whatever, and uh, Batman leaves the room while Robin is interrogating this guy, and then Batman comes back into the room, and the, the guy has mysteriously fallen out of the window. And Jason Todd's just standing there going, what happened? I didn't do nothing. He yeah. done slipped. Yeah, exactly. Like they're cops or something, and then... <laughs> I could see why you'd approach it that way as a writer. How does that dynamic work with Bruce's ideology and like, how do you address that? How you deal with it? Especially since Bruce is like directly responsible for, you know, Chase's training and all that stuff. And he brought him into this thing. And then he, did he create a murderer? There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And there's a lot of fodder to work with for drama. And you want to like differentiate these different Robins of like Mm -hmm. what makes them unique as people. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that did make him unpopular with fans. People hated Jason Todd. Even though they were fine with Damian Wayne, but <laughs> everyone hated Jason Todd. I think maybe Damian's it, he's just coming at a different period in time. I don't think people would have taken Damian if Jason Todd hadn't happened already. It's quite possible. Because he's kind of worse than Jason, but does the same stuff. <laughs> yes, but there's also a bit of a different dynamic between... Well, just because he's his actual son. Well, <laughs> I mean, they, they treat it differently. Instead of his projected tiny Bruce Wayne that he brings around with him everywhere. <laughs> and there's some serious issues there. Uh, I don't think it was in the original plans for the character to have fans vote on the fate of Jason Todd, but DC did a, a ballsy and quite frankly, a little desperate move where they straight up told audiences that there was a possibility Jason would die and let the average Joe decide through a call-in line if Jason would live or die. Yeah, the poster says, Robin, registered trademark, will die because the Joker, TM, wants revenge, (laughs) but you can prevent it with a telephone call. 1-900-720-2660, 1-900-720-2660, the Joker fails, and Robin lives. 1-900-720-2666, 
The Joker <laughs> succeeds and Robin will not survive. These numbers will only work in the U- United States of America and Canada between the following hours of September 15th and September 16th. 867 evil. You will be charged 50 cents for each call, which will be connected <laughs> to an acknowledgement message. <laughs> Turns out it was a sex line. <laughs> hey, sugar, what do you want? Is it Robin? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it's just Toy Man. <laughs> a desperate attempt by DC to re-engage fans with a very unpopular character and decide how to go forward so that if it didn't seem right or if it seemed cheap, you could blame it on the audience. So that's what happened in a strangely close vote. Fans voted to kill Jason Todd. Do you remember what the numbers were? I know they're very close. The final tally was... 5,271 for Robin's life, but 5,343 was for Robin's death. God, that's like the 2000 election. There are a lot of hanging chads in that particular one. That's exactly right. It's a bunch of hanging chads. Yep, that's what we call (laughs) douchey fanboys now, just hanging chads. And what happened in the comic book? Are you asking me or are you saying? Yeah. No, I was asking you. Oh, well, essentially what happens is, uh, in actually one of the most now iconic moments in DC history, Robin is kidnapped by the Joker, who is entering his very serious murderous phase. This is like after uh, Killing Joke, where Alan Moore has had the Joker kidnap Jim Gordon, shoot his daughter. Batman Killing Joke was July 1988. And Batman 427 was January 89. Yeah, so. We had already seen Joker shoot Barbara Gordon uh, intentionally in the abdomen. The way I always interpreted it was to make it make sure that she couldn't have children. But then coincidentally, the bullet uh, pierced her spinal column and then crippled her. Go read a killing joke. It's the Joker is most sadistic. And so now you've opened the door to something equally as dark. There's no Joker fish here. Joker literally kidnaps Robin. And if you watch the DC animated version of this, they imply that he also sexually assaults Robin. Really? Have you not seen it? No, I don't watch any of those DC animated ones. That one is super dark. It's not bad. I mean, that part is rough, but it feels like a Tarantino type thing. There's no joke. There's no punchline. Joker literally just tortures, possibly assaults, and then murders Jason Todd with a crowbar. Um, And that really kind of sets the tone for how we treat Joker from then on. Yeah. It's kind of a turning point, really. It is. It really is. And it's because of the fan voting. They were like, oh, yeah, you're going to do that? Well, be careful what you wish for, bitches, because... Yeah, Jason's stuck in there with his mom, who's tied up to a pole as a bomb mm-hmm. is about to go off. Mm-hmm. And he, he's able to untie her and use his last strength to try and get her out. But the door's locked, and the bomb goes off, and it explodes. And so you're left, left on that cliffhanger. Did they survive the bomb? Did they get out somehow? Or are they deadzo? Mm-hmm. There used to be two rules in comic books, and there were only a few people who ever stay dead in comics. All this is kind of out the window now, but for most of our lives and comics in general, the only people that ever stay dead are Jason Todd, Uncle Ben, and Bucky. 
<laughs> and guess what? Well, I mean, two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three ain't bad. You know who's going to stay dead? Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. At least Ben has, has stayed dead. I'm still waiting for that uh, that eventual shoe to drop. No, oh, you know but it's going to at some point. They've Even Peter's parents have come back. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've had everything under the sun has happened to Peter except for Uncle Ben coming back. Other than, like, as a ghost. Because that, that has happened. Right. That's different, yeah. But not actual flesh. There hasn't been a clone of Ben. Not like there was with Gwen. Ben wasn't a secretly a spy working for S.H.I.E.L.D. There hasn't been a, a, another universe Ben who's come. Hey, I'm the hip young Ben. I'm 35 and I f- ladies and... Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah. Nope, he stayed dead, thankfully. Yeah, that's the last man standing in comic book lore because they brought back both Bucky and Jason Todd. And I hate to say it, but both of those arcs are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not – rules are made to be broken. And if you do it right, almost anything can be good. And they did a yeah. good job with both of them. Yeah, with the Winter Soldier arc by uh, Brubaker is actually really good. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, that's the only way you can. And the Jason Todd arc, actually, I thought was... Jason Todd eventually comes back as the Red Hood, spoiler alert, which he adopts because the Red Hood was the identity of the petty criminal that the Joker was before he became the Joker. And so sort of as a mocking irony, Jason Todd decides to become the Red Hood. And we won't tell you exactly how he comes back. You should just read it. But it actually does make sense. Well, possibly. There's well, one big thing that doesn't make oh, any sense. Talking but. about the... All right. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, his actual physical, like, coming back does make sense. But Yes, yes. And what they do with that is well done, as far as that goes. Yeah. And as opposed to comic lore that some people pass around, although a lot of people didn't like Robin, specifically Jim Starlin uh, was very famously anti-Robin, and uh, wanted to give Robin AIDS at the time. Yeah, that one was problematic. That one's um, very problematic. But they he was were, 89. <laughs> yeah. They were listening to the fan vote. The editors were watching as it was coming in. Mark Wade, Denny O'Neill. Uh, they were going to follow along with whatever actually happened that the fans vote wanted. So there was no secret plot, no matter what happened with the fan vote, that Robin was going to die. That's probably the most famous one, but there are other instances where fans have influenced decisions in comic book writing and editing. Even if it wasn't a direct vote, they, in one way or another, changed the outcome of how some of these things would go. For instance, when in Nightfall, when uh, Bane breaks Batman's back, he's replaced by a guy named what? Azrael. That's what happened? Yeah, believe it or not, it's also been a movie. Hey, do you know it's been a movie? What? The shittiest of those movies. Still, I take the worst of those over almost every other DC film. Bane breaks Batman's back. Batman, uh, as an entity, falls onto uh, a guy named Azrael, who's a former assassin. Wasn't uh, it like Jean-Paul Levesque? Jean-Paul Valli. He was an assassin and turns out a complete psychopath. And they wanted to take Batman in a different direction. They wanted to, you know, this is right after Death of Superman. So they were trying to, like, figure out how to, like, change characters up. They were desperate, really, for change. He became bloodthirsty and cruel and 
eventually started killing people. <laughs> so fans hated the entire thing and would write letters in to DC complaining about it to the extent that DC decided to reverse course and even Chuck Dixon, uh, one of the writers at the time, said that the bad reception to the character was literally the reason they brought Bruce Wayne back after only 16 months, which is uh, pretty fast for recovering from a severed spine. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered, like, well, why didn't Barbara get the same treatment? Why did she have to be in a wheelchair for <laughs> decades? <laughs> You're absolutely right, and that's absolute garbage. But I always took the Bruce Wayne injury to be like Bruce Lee's injury. Remember, because Bruce Lee broke his back. Right. I mean, you can break your back he... without severing your spinal cord. Right. Well, fine. they never specifically said that Bruce Wayne's spine right. was severed, but it really looked like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the implication. Yeah, they left it open-ended and for a good reason, because they had to bring Bruce Wayne back and they had to get rid of Jean-Paul Valley, who... Only pops up every now and then, but I never cared for the character, but um, it was kind of cool that he kicked Bane's ass. That was that was pretty interesting. But He had super cool, like, razor fist gauntlets. God, that's so stupid. Like he's a cyber force character? Yeah. <laughs> he's part of Wildcats. Fans have often influenced creative decisions in DC, some of which are... Um, Believe it or not, after um, The Incredible Hulk came out, Marvel only produced a certain number of, of comic lines per month. And so to introduce new lines, they had to cancel others. So in 1963, The Incredible Hulk was canceled and replaced with Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. And after that, thousands of letters poured into Marvel. So they included Hulk in Avengers number one so that they would recognize that the character still existed and sort of test waters to see if he could have an ongoing. Which is really funny, because that's almost exactly what happens to the film version of Hulk 2. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, think about much. it. Yeah, because Edward Norton would have to be in a solo Hulk film, so they cancel the Hulk films. <laughs> it's actually kind of exactly what happens. Yeah, he's not allowed to have his own single movie, because contractually, Norton would have writer first refusal on that, so they just put him in other... Well, you see him in a bunch of guest appearances, like he shows up in, uh, in Fantastic Four, and then Spider-Man, The Avengers, Tales of Astonish, and he wouldn't get his own series again until uh, 68, so he just was a side character cameo in everything into for five years, which actually I kind of like him better as a side character, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Then of course there was, did we touch on this in our multiverse thing? The MC two. Did we talk about that? Uh, I may have given a, a, a brief mention, but it also is so minimal that I didn't deem it worthy for much beyond that. Yeah. I mean, well, there were only like three titles, right? And, one of them was Spider-Girl, mm -hmm. who was actually extremely popular at the time. Everybody thinks of Spider-Gwen now, but before that, there was Spider-Girl, who had a hundred issues. That's a lot. Yeah. Though they had canceled Spider-Girl at issue 100, uh, fans had set up a website to, um, you know, to petition to bring the character back, uh, similar to... 
you know, Star Trek and then Star Trek Enterprise, Marvel did bring the character of Spider-Girl back in Amazing Spider-Girl. Of course, it was eventually canceled, but it lasted a hell of a lot longer than any of those other goddamn titles. I think there were five titles, actually. Yeah, I'm trying it's like to... Fantastic Five, uh, J2. Wild Things. Yeah, J2. what was J2? I don't even remember what that was. It was like Juggernaut's son. Oh my god, you're right, it was Juggernaut. It was like gray. It was just dumb. And then it was A-Next. It was an early version of the Young Avengers. Yeah, this isn't your grandpa's Avengers. Yeah, but they were like a different universe. Because the yeah. Young Avengers are in the 616, and these guys mm-hmm. were like... And then they blended that stuff into the Ultraverse and the Malibu, and they had crossovers with those characters. Oh, my God. That was a cluster. Yeah, it truly doesn't matter. No. They were failures, other than Spider-Girl. Right, which was almost purely run by fan support. I mean, you have some minor ones, and I'm sure you're going to get to Marvel, but... One of the bigger crossovers that we talked about in the DC Multiverse one was the 1991 company crossover Armageddon 2001. No, you didn't say it right. Armageddon 2001. It should just be like Brando in Apocalypse Now. So in Armageddon 2001, it's a company crossover over their annual issues, each title's annual issues, where a character called Wave Rider who's essentially the Watcher, tries to go back and and see into every hero's future, 10 years in the future, because one of the heroes becomes a despotic villain and kills everybody and takes over, kind of like, I don't know, Maestro, when Hulk becomes Maestro. So the villain's name was Monarch. Not the Monarch! But, you know, Monarch. (laughs) Unfortunately, the identity of the Monarch was released secretly before the big reveal in the comics. And so DC basically had to go against the fans who had spread this around. So this is kind of like a reverse of the situation we're talking about. So DC basically had to trick fans into thinking they were wrong by making the hero that turns into a villain a different guy. And it turns out it was dumb. So instead of taking a relatively likable character that would turn into a villain in Captain Adam, they changed it to a relatively unlikable character that no one cares about at all in Hawk from Hawk and Dove. So that was kind of like a big middle figure to the fans for doing collective action to figure out spoilers. Yeah, it's something that happens in professional wrestling a lot, especially in the WWE. Mm. where the twists and turns will get leaked beforehand and Vince McMahon will just cut off his nose to spite his face. Maybe it was a good storyline and he'll just change it into something else completely just to keep people on their toes. It almost never works out right, (laughs) but he just gets pissed that people find out ahead of time. Remember Tarantino almost did that with The Hateful Eight. That script leaked online and so he was like, I'm not going to make the movie, I'm just going to make it a stage play. And then he's like, that's stupid. Just make it the movie. It's fine. Nobody read the f- screenplay. <laughs> yeah. So another example in the Marvel Universe is the epic, and I mean unfortunate epic, Clone Saga, which lasted more than two years, starting in October 1994, where it's revealed based on a an obscure story arc from the 60s that there was a clone of Spider-Man. And that, in actuality, the Spider-Man that we've known for the last, at that point, 30-plus years was actually the clone of Peter Parker. And Peter Parker was out there else somewhere not knowing who he was. 
And so Peter comes back, but his name is Ben Riley after Uncle Ben, and creates the identity of the the Scarlet Spider, which mm, he's got a hoodie. It's so cool. Well, that happened later. Well, that, when he was the Scarlet yeah. Spider. Well, I, yeah, but, I'm just saying. I was like, yeah. But so the idea was that turns out that the entire time Peter Parker was a clone, and we've been with the wrong Peter Parker. But then there was a fan backlash, and Marvel backtracked, and they made it to where Ben Riley was actually the clone, and he was mistaken, and Peter was actually Peter the whole time, which, what a bunch of pansies. You really, I mean, <laughs> it's not even hard. Then they go ahead and they do Secret Invasion, and it's like almost every character you've known for the last 25, 30 years is actually a scroll. But Peter Parker, oh, that's off limits. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you just go a little too overboard. Both the fans or editorial, and you you push storylines too hard, and that's one that just didn't rub people the right way. It's a balance because sometimes you get into the later DC editorial stuff where they're like, well, fans don't know what they want. We know better than everybody, and fans are stupid, and then they don't listen to anything the fans say, and then they're shocked when people don't buy the issues. But then at the same time, you sometimes fanboys don't know what the f*** they're talking about and are idiots. And when you bow down to those, you just come up with terrible storylines that are you know superficial and, and garbage. So you really have to find that balance. It's not easy. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. But like a great poet once said, it's not easy being cheesy. Mm. Feel good? Was, you like that? Mm. I feel crunchy. <laughs> That's weird. I'm all puffed up over here. Yeah, I thought so. I'm going to find a cool spot over here. <laughs> Is it like a ranch? Like you're having an entire cool ranch over there? Oh, no. It's 7-Up. So do you have stuff about to Marville? Yeah, I wanted to talk about, just to finish this up. So we've had a lot of the fans get their voices heard and things happen of significance or insignificance. But I wanted to get into a little pissing match in 2002 for Marvel. So at the time... Marvel was uh, raising the price on comic books from 225 to 299. And this didn't sit well with uh, Peter David, who was a, a fan favorite writer at the time. He'd written a bunch of stuff, you know, we touched on before. But at this time, he was writing Captain Marvel. Marvel's Captain Marvel. Marvel's Captain Marvel, not Shazam. Right, because he also was writing DC Comics at the time, but not. I think at this point, he wasn't. No, he was probably um, done with Aquaman. Yeah, but before he'd been writing DC comic books. Wonder Woman too. Yeah. He wasn't super keen on Joe Quesada, who's the editor-in-chief at the time, raising prices. And Joe Quesada, he didn't really like Peter David's style of writing, thought it was old-fashioned, and that new readers wouldn't really be able to pick up on that style or didn't dig it. So they decided to have a little contest called You Decide, You Dash Decide, exclamation point. And you had Joe Quesada was going to work with Ron Zimmerman doing a book called Ultimate Adventures. Because at this point, they had just started the Ultimate line in Marvel, a place for people to jump in. And this was kind of a Batman kind of thing. What's the, what's the fucking name of this asshole? <laughs> um, yeah, his book was the Chicago-based hero Hawk Owl. The Midnight Avenger. So essentially, it was a lame, pumped out Batman and Robin knockoff. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. But I think it's also poking fun at Owl Man and Night Owl at the same time. Yes, I think there's maybe some of that in there. It's just that it's hard to give much credit to it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's Ron Zimmerman who's writing it, who just kind of done really poor comics. 
before that, Joe Quesada didn't seem to have a whole lot of integrity. Mm. And you had Captain Marvel, the book that was ongoing by Peter David and Chris Cross. Always hated that name. <laughs> well, he makes you jump. <laughs> Why is it when my pants are always backwards, I never read this comic? Oh, you missed the bus. <laughs> Peter David, he set up a time for new readers to jump on, restarting what was happening, making it a little more accessible to new readers as Captain Marvel had the cosmic awareness and he was kind of going insane by seeing across space and time. It was kind of cool stories. It was a bit weird, but the book sold well. But the dark horse in all of this was Bill Jamis and his book Marvel, M-A-R-V-I-L-L-E. Now, Bill Jameis, he had never written a comic before. One might say, he can't really write. <laughs> and for some reason, he seemed to hate Peter David. Bill Jameis was the president of Marvel at the time. And so he just felt like he could write anything he wanted. And because he had the complete power, they would publish it. So he, on a lark, made this I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown on what was going on in this book kind of give you a flavor for what was happening. Mm. So in issue one, the book opens up with, <laughs> oh God, this is the year 5002. And there's just a random guy commenting on how awesome Marvel comics are because they had pulled themselves out of bankruptcy. They did this because of Ron Perlman. And Ron Perlman was an investor in Marvel who had a majority interest. Not Ron Perlman. Not, not Ron Perlman. Ron. It's Perlman. Perlman. So he had a majority interest in the company during the 80s and 90s, and he's often credited with continual jacking of prices to appease the stockholders, i.e. himself. A lot of people think of this as one of the reasons Marvel was going bankrupt at the time, or it did go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. eh, it's part of it. But there are a lot of horrible decisions that the company made that made that happen. So the real story takes off as uh, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda, who have somehow sustained their life into the year 5002. And the world is about to be destroyed by meteors that are crashing into the planet. Mm. This planet isn't Earth because it's now named AOL On. Because Ted Turner had sold the Earth to America Online for stock options. Mm. This is a pointed dig at AOL Warner, who owned DC at the time. So the way to save the world is for all of these people on the streets is to do the chop, which was the cheer of the Atlanta Braves that was owned by Ted Turner. Uh. They were going to do this at the meteors, which was supposed to stop the meteors? Uh. I don't know. Uh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> So their son, Cal AOL... Do you get it, guys? Oh, my God. Mm. He would be like Superman's origin, and he would leave the planet Earth to survive and fight for truth and justice. He would be given 500 free minutes of AOL for his tragic origin trinket, a special costume, and then dropped back into the past of 2002. Sadly, this is all done on dial-up. <laughs> Cal AOL, who was sent back in the past, randomly given hundreds of thousands of dollars by Alan Greenspan and the police for catching crooks. Oh my god. By mistake. The band, the police. Ugh. So, this is how the first issue goes. It sells horribly. Yeah. Captain Marvel kicks its ass. Let's set this up. So, the You Decide thing was literally just a troll by Bill Jameis. 
Yeah, it seems to be Joe Quesada and Peter David were going to have a back and forth. And then Bill James just throws his dick into the race and says, mm -hmm. you know, I can write whatever I want and maybe my comic will sell better than both of you. Well, but then they made that competition an event where with the You Decide campaign, specifically in this case, Captain Marvel would go up against the new book, and then fans would get to decide which one would continue being published. Yes. In fact, Captain Marvel goes up against two new books, because Ultimate Avengers was brand new just for this event, mm -hmm. as was Marvel. Oh, well, and sadly, Ultimate Avengers, isn't that the redux of the Ultimates that... Uh, no, uh, no, Ultimate Adventures. 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 With the little kid and everything. Yeah, yes, right. yes, with the uh, the hawk dude. Yeah, that's right. Keep in mind, this is called Marvel because it's making fun of Smallville. Because you can see on the cover of the first issue, it's Marvel is tied up crucifix style onto a fence with an M painted mm. on his bare chest. Mm. Harking back to the beginning episode of Smallville. DVD covers and everything. Yeah, just the lowest hanging fruit. Not even trying. Not even trying, but it gets worse, folks. On the second issue, and each subsequent issue in the six issues after that, you just get a scantily clad or completely naked redhead who has nothing to do with the book. She doesn't show up ever in the book. She's just there to sell comics to horny little dorks. I always thought it was Mary Jane, but... No, it looks like Mary Jane, but Mary Jane isn't in the book. It's just a beautiful... Mostly naked, redheaded woman. The art is so bad. It's really bad, Greg Horn. He couldn't get, like, I don't know, Jim Bellant or um, Hughes. Adam Hughes? You couldn't get Adam Hughes? Somebody who does women well? What's the other one? Uh, Frank Cho? Well, all of those had some type of style, as opposed to Greg Horn, which mostly does light boarding and copying from Vogue covers. Yeah, but not well. Oh, no, not well. But his covers sold at the time. Jesus Christ. Jim Bellant is head and shoulders above Greg Horn. It is. He did all those voluptuous Catwoman covers, and they're still way better than this. Yeah. I mean, he gets into his tarot Witch of the Black Titties, and... Witch of the Black Titties. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, look, I have size J breasts. I've seen Vampirella covers that are less shameless than this. <laughs> It's truly atrocious. I mean, the second issue, it's this naked woman with a pizza, a PS2 box, some oh, some God. movies, some beer, a football falling, super violent, gory anime, uh, and smut tapes falling down. And she's like, I'll drink anything. It's, it's just awful. It's awful. But I mean, the book doesn't get any better. Each comic had a brief description of the character's concepts that would be referenced in the book. This ranged from explaining what DC Comics were to who the kingpin or daredevil are. Apparently, Bill Jameis didn't think the readers knew anything. In issue two, you get Rush Limbaugh oh my God. Uh, lecturing Cal AOL for giving $100 to a bum. And who is the bum? A version of Peter David. Mm. The guy writing Captain Marvel didn't even look like Peter David, but he says, no, I write comic books. My name's Peter David. Jesus Christ. Later on, you have a racist Iron Man and an okay-with-it Black Panther. Iron Man almost says the N-word while he talks about how Mexicans will work for less money, mm. which is why, you know, the, all of the factories are being sent to, to Mexico. Uh, uh, it's like if Tony Stark was Jeff Bezos. <laughs> 
Kal-El then wants to end all crime in New York, so he goes after the Kingpin, and he uses cops disguised as sex workers. Hmm. And Kingpin is now played by Spike Lee. Oh, my who God. Who gets angry because apparently black people aren't allowed to play roles of white people in the comic books. And then the Punisher, who is in this, along with the sex workers, talks about what the Kingpin looks like. The, the comic then ends with Cal Aowell getting a time machine from his parents. But things just get even more bizarre in the next issue. So... In issue three, I don't know what happened with the artist. Now they're just seeming to do almost stock images from computers. So it's awful CGI art. There's no longer letterers going on. Bill James just literally prints the script overlaying the scenes that are supposed to be happening. So you don't get word balloons anymore. It's just... No, go ahead. Yes, that's exactly what happens. I heard it was because the letterer quit out of protest. I would not be shocked by that. That's what I read, that yeah, he was so upset and refused to work on the issues. And so coming up on the deadline, he was just like, screw it, just print the script. It's genius. Let's go. Yeah. At this point, Cal, Cal AOL decides to use his time machine to talk to God, who was first an old white man stereotype before turning into Superman and then into a handsome black man. But then the black wow. man gets into the water, takes off his clothes and asks the main characters, which are... Cal AOL and two scantily clad women to go skinny dipping with God. God then lectures everyone on science. Uh, oh dear. Yeah. As he talks about dinosaurs and how evolution isn't real. And, and it rains about the Jews. <laughs> uh, so. Kind of. <laughs> you, yeah. You do have the dinosaurs who uh, use. Yiddish phrases as if the dinosaurs are Jewish? Oh, my God. Uh, it's a Frank Miller wet dream. I don't – what he's talking about. This continues through issue five. But you do get back to word balloons in issue four. And as the science continues to remain awful, they just talk about how dinosaurs are better than man because they didn't have nuclear weapons. Then we get issue five where Wolverine is introduced, who was mutated from an otter in 1000 BC. I don't know. L literal literal lines from this first human. I thought you were supposed to be a mutant. That's right, bub. Just so you know, Bill Jameis did later get co-writing credit for Wolverine Origin. Oh, well, you know, if, if there's any of them that you should have your name attached to, it's definitely well, X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> So then God takes time to scream at the characters about how evolution is wrong. Yeah, I like how God is screaming at the facts. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So then uh, Jameis then goes on to talk about world peace happened the first time mankind brought up the concept of voting and that Jesus was the first superhero. Wow. And then states that religion is the reason we have no world peace. God, he's all over the place. Uh, alongside patriotism and voting no longer happening. Hmm. Wow. What's that sound like? Somebody's a QAnon asshole. Yes. So in the sixth issue, it's just a summary of what happened so far in the first five issues. Oh, my God. Then you get the Bill James personal viewpoints and Wolverine declaring world peace. <laughs> and then at the end of the book, you get Cal AOL doing a summary from like the editor at Marvel and he's pitching like his true plan, which I'm just going to, I want to read this to you. It'll go quick. Mm -hmm. 
This is Marvel Begets Epic Comics, an open letter from Bill Jameis to comic book creators. Marvel does not have the stuff that makes for top-selling comics, but it does explore the origin and meaning of life, so I thought it was worth a six-issue series. And, because I'm president of Marvel, I could ignore the bean counters and publish Marvel without regard for minimum sales projections and margin requirements. But that's just me. Let's talk about you. As a group, comic creators have lots to say about almost every topic, but little chance to see any of it in print. Marvel publishes just 45 comics per month, and our top 10 authors can do two or three each. That leaves few openings for newcomers. For you! And it's only our superhero comic books that make any real money. So, if you're trying to tell stories about undies on the inside kind of characters, you have to go elsewhere. You can try AOL Comics... DC Comics. Jesus. (laughs) But they have their own crock of favorite writers for the regular books. And they do tend to avoid publishing anything that actually says anything. So if your books actually say anything, you are back to elsewhere. You can try Image, but they have their own financial limitations. And they ask you to cover your own creative costs along with their printing costs. So this outlet is plugged into a life savings vacuum cleaner. You can try one of these quote-unquote indie publishers, but they can't afford coloring or coated paper, so your graphic story won't look very good. And these small businesses are low on marketing staff and high on cover prices, leaving this avenue virtually untrafficked by readers. Hey, I lived through the freelance creator blues back in 1995 when I took a year off from corporate life for writing children's books. The writing part was loads of fun, like writing Marvel has been. But finding a publisher was torture. Marvel got me thinking about people like you who deserve the opportunity to see their work in print because Marvel has been a story that would never seen be published if I didn't happen to have this here as job as president of Marvel. True that. <laughs> yeah. Thus did Marvel beget Epic Comics. Marvel's quote unquote Project Greenlight for comic creators. I think Project Greenlight was that uh, we're going all the way around. That was the Feast oh, okay. TV show with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Okay. I thought maybe it was when the Nazi scientists came over to the United States. Right? <laughs> so, number one, Epic Comics will launch this summer and will focus on all kinds of stories that don't fit the Marvel cookie cutter. Two, mm. Epic changes the basic business model for comics, publishing by covering the reasonable creative cost needed to make a first-rate comic book and providing an open publishing platform for new talent. Three, Marvel number seven is not about Al, Mickey, Lucy, and Jack. It is about you, and it advises you on the best way to approach writing an epic comic book. Hijinks to follow, Bill J. So yes, this whole oh thing God. was just some type of awful pitch for Epic Comics. Now, Epic Comics was a Marvel line back in the 80s, which did do kind of edgier, more adult take on comic books. And so they wanted to relaunch that. As you might have guessed, Epic relaunch in 2003 was disastrous mm-hmm. and is best remembered for the comic book Trouble which is where Aunt May was a promiscuous teenage girl who got pregnant with Peter Parker and decided to surrender him to her sister to raise as to not hurt Uncle Ben's feelings. Christ, it's like if Steve Bannon ran Marvel. I can't, oh my God. It's it's one of those things that I just wanted to cover this because this is just so mind-bogglingly awful. Marvel was never collected. Oh God. No one even talks about Marvel. And unless you were getting Marvel comic book, Marvel comics at the time, 
you probably have no idea this existed. God, it's the Ben Shapiro arc of Marvel. Ugh. Yeah. That's terrible. Thankfully, Peter David won, but I think by this brief expose, you see that the art form and all comic readers are the ones who really lost. Well, okay, but Peter David won the you decide thing because nobody voted and nobody bought Marvel. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah. In fact, nobody bought Ultimate Adventures or Marvel. Captain Marvel nobody. ran away with this you decide thing. Yeah, it wasn't even a vote. It was just like, well, this is stupid. And then they just kept reading Captain Marvel. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but it did give us one of the worst comic books, maybe the worst comic of all time. It, 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 well, I mean, this didn't really happen either. Well, no, I mean, Mm. Batman Holy Terror was never actually published. Yes. Holy Terror was based (laughs) on it, but. Thanks, Frank Miller. Yeah, isn't there an issue where in Marvel where they straight up rip on Paul Levitz? Yes. Like, name drop him, which is ridiculous. Yeah, so there's a scene where when he comes back to 2002, Cal AOL meets a guy and the guy says, Cool, Marvel Enterprises, do you know Joe Quesada? And Cal says, No, but my dad is friends with Paul Levitz. Paul Levitz was the editor-in-chief at DC at the time. Jesus Christ. I guess that was supposed to be funny. Ha, 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 ha. It's less subtle than scary movie. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's just right in your face. I mean, everything about this comic is blatant. From the ideologies, to the marketing campaign, to who he decides to be on his shit list. It's just all right there. Terrible. It's bonkers, really. And I would say go read it, but no, no one should ever read this book. It is probably the worst comic of all time. I think Ben Shapiro is probably the only person that would enjoy this. <laughs> Certainly it isn't us. No, it's not. So I only have one other thing to mention in this vein where... This, this Bruce vein? Kip Knox Grant. So, you know, fans have influenced either directly or indirectly have influenced editing and writing in, in basically all of comics since the beginning, really. I thought we should end on debunking one of the most famous fan-driven legends in comic book history when in 1976 thousands of people voted for howard the duck for president (laughs) nice which unfortunately is not true oh it's not i hate to say it so this all started and this has been a long-running thing if you don't know howard the duck he's a sort of a parody character that has made his way into the mainstream of marvel comics he's an anthropomorphic duck and you've probably seen him in the Guardians movies. Or maybe for evil, you forced your wife to watch it. Oh, that's a hard one to get through. So essentially, Marvel Comics ran a stunt in, in early 76 in the letter column in the fourth issue of Howard the Duck. Steve Gerber, who had created Howard, revealed that Howard the Duck would be running for president in 1976. So they created uh, buttons and merchandise and all sorts of things you could buy to support Howard the Duck for president. The urban legend goes that write-in campaigns all across the country registered because of the collective ennui of the political atmosphere when Gerald Ford was running against Jimmy Carter. Um, Supposedly, Howard the Duck did really well as a third-party write-in candidate. It was supposedly pretty good, considering it was a joke. Unfortunately, it wasn't really true. 
1940, people wrote in Gracie Allen as president uh, under a made-up party in 1940. Dick Gregory, a comedian in the 60s, ran as a write-in candidate. But Gregory's write-in campaign actually registered as an official write-in candidate, which makes you eligible to be elected president, which I'm sure people did with you know Ralph Nader and Bernie Sanders and all sorts of people. But Howard the Duck was never officially registered as a candidate. And so even writing him in doesn't count for anything. So in 1976, there were 38,087 write-in votes recorded. Most of them were official independent candidates. There wasn't even a thousand votes for Howard the Duck. And even if there were, they wouldn't have counted for anything. But it's a fun story to think that a bunch of people voted for Howard Duck for president in 1976, and now you kind of understand why, considering the candidates. That was a fake instance of fans influencing comic books or using comic books to influence something else. The entire stunt was really just to sell merchandise for Howard the Duck. So, And then, uh, add insult to injury, George Lucas makes one of the worst films of all time. <laughs> Oh, I'd rather watch that than read Marvel. I use Howard the Duck to strip paint off of boats. <laughs> I use Howard the Duck for my uh, Litvico treatment. Joe Rogan is using it as a COVID vaccine. Strangely enough, he put a whole lot more inwards in there, too. That is very true. So anyway, that's a brief history. And there are a lot of other examples, smaller examples, going all the way back to the, the dawn of comic books, really. But that's just sort of like an overview of some of the major ones that we bring to you for our <laughs> mutual pleasure. Ah, the great god Dizan has blessed us with knowledge once more. <laughs> so that's probably going to wrap it up for us. Yeah, we'd like to thank you all for listening. If you yeah. wouldn't mind uh, liking, subscribing, sharing if possible, if you think someone following. else might dig this. Following yeah. is good. Be a follower. We like them. Like the Christopher Nolan film following. Just like that, but less creepy if you can. But more like Memento. Yeah. Oh, if you just keep forgetting that you liked and shared and subscribed and, and then just keep, keep doing keep it. Keep re-following. Yes. <laughs> that, that'll be just fine. Sweet. Make a new uh, email address every time. Okay, so we're going to wrap this bad boy up. We've got some other good stuff coming up very soon. We'd like to remind you to please support your local comic shops and retailers. And from Dispatch Ajax, Godspeed, Fair Wizards. Remember, no matter where you go, 